Good morning. It's good seeing you. If you would, would you take out your worship bulletin? I want to go over a couple announcements as you're coming in. Next Saturday, the men are meeting to watch Ohio State destroy Michigan. So if you'd like to come to that and watch that poundage, if you're, if you're, uh, even if you root for Michigan, you're still welcome to, you know, we'll, we'll pray for you, but uh, we're going to be watching that It bring up a manly snack to eat, and um, if there's any women that want to sneak in for that, you're interested in the game, you're welcome to, all right. All right, uh, we are, this is the last week for the Change of Life Jar, so make sure if you want to help out and support that, that you put that, it's back out there. We'd love for you to do that. Uh, we are, I'm, we're going to do something a little di- different. We have this, we have this flyer in your bulletin, and it is Christmas Candy Palooza, all right? It's going to be Wednesday, December 1st. What we would like to do, instead of you just donating candy, we want to do a trunk or treat thing type of thing, except for not in cars. We want to have the adults come and bring some candy with you to hand out to these kids. So what we'll do is you bring a bag of candy. We'll have the kids come, come around to everybody and just you can kind of like give them some candy and encourage them. And, and what I'd really like you to do while you're giving them some candy is pray for them. Right? Pray for their relationship with Christ Pray that the evangelist that we have coming speaks to them in a way that they come to know Christ and surrender their life to Christ, all right? So would you consider buying some candy and coming out on that Wednesday night and handing out some candy and especially, though, praying for those kids? Would you let all the kids that you know about know about this and invite them to come be a part of that? Can I get your hand up if you will commit to that? Invite two, three, four, five. We need some more hands, all right? All right, so that's going on. Other things. There will be no church this Wednesday night. Whenever there is no school, um, we, we let families get together and just kind of fellowship with them. So no church this Wednesday night. And um, I think that's it about the announcements. I, I have a couple of thank yous that I want to say. I want to say thank you to everybody that helped out with the luminaries and setting those up. It was a little bit more. I kind of lied to people and said, hey, can you just help setting out the luminaries? And then that turned into setting out the luminaries, sitting around for an hour in the cold, and then picking the luminaries up and passing out 150 bags of candy to uh, everybody, all the kids that were in the parade. And we ran out. I don't even think we hit half the kids in the parade when we were walking down it. So at least you got to be part of the parade. But um, Carol, Diane, Andy, Adavi, Kristen, Avery, Kylie, Braden, Lydia, Ethan, thank you so much for all your help with that and uh, doing that. Yeah, give them a hand. We also had a funeral in here Thursday. I wanted to say a special thank you to to uh, Lee and um, Brian. Why am I forgetting your name? I wanted to say Brandon, but Nathan, wow, holy smokes, I'm sorry, Lee and Nathan, thank you guys for running sound. Carol, who helped you? With Awilda, Ruth, thank you so much for, for serving. And Kaylin? Awesome. 
Thank you so much for serving in that capacity. We, we really appreciate you stepping out and ministering to that family. Uh, so many good comments afterwards saying thank you for that. So really appreciate that. Uh, I wanted to give you an update about Nick. That was mentioned during the last service. So we went out there, and Lanny and Kevin and I went out there and talked to him. Um, <laughs> funny story, we'll mention that part where you wanted to go in, into this place. But uh, well, we were able to grab him, take him to the hospital because he had just used recently. And so he needed to, he was detoxing and needed the help coming down off of that. And um, then he got put into a program to help with the detox after he went to the hospital. We were in touch with him Friday. He's looking for a permanent place to, not a permanent place, but a place to get into, a program to get into. And then we have not talked to him since then. So be praying for Nick. Uh, I'd love to see him plugged into this church. Uh, remember that, remember uh, the branch life. We need some we need some people to wrap their, their vines around his, right, and help lift him up. So we're praying for that. If you join us praying for Nick, we would really appreciate that because he needs some, needs some help. But um, thank you guys for, for helping out with that, and we'll keep you updated as we do that. All right, uh, we're also going to be setting up Christmas decorations after this. If you can stick around, we'd love to have you be a part of that. But I think that's all I have. Would you stand with me? Hey, there's some cards in the back. Would you invite somebody to church? Every day should be uh, a day that we invite people to church to, to see what God is doing, to hear from God, to worship with God collectively. Would you consider doing that? And especially in two weeks because uh, I have a message from God that I believe people need to hear, that we need to invite some people to hear. I'm excited to preach. I'm excited for what God is doing. And so would you be inviting? We should be inviting people every week, though. Not, not just inviting people to church. Inviting people into the fellowship, right? We are, we are given the opportunity to be involved in God reconciling mankind to himself. We get to be a part of that. That's an amazing privilege that we have, amazing responsibility that we have. So let's be about that um, as, as his body, all right? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we are here to give you all honor and praise. For you alone are worthy of that. Lord, you came down from heaven to a world that rejected you, to a world that spit in your face, to a world that didn't want to have anything to do with you. You came down, though, and you loved us, you served us, and you died for us so that we could have our relationship restored with you. Father, you've called your church now to be a part of that. Lord, let us be about that. Father, I pray for every church in our community that proclaim, proclaims you as Lord and Savior. I pray that we would all join in that endeavor to our community. Father, I pray that you would call us out of this community into the world, into different areas, Lord. We have several communities represented in this church. Lord, give us opportunities. Give us a boldness, Lord. Help us surrender our lives to you and be focused in on that. Lord, we give you all honor and praise. We just want to worship you. Thank you for the opportunity to corporately do that. 
We love you and give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen.
Never been a king like this. 
If you would, turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. I'm excited to preach this because I think it just speaks to our time and age that some things that we're dealing with. Daniel chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. I'm going to ask you to stand again. I'm sorry. But uh, this is the word of the Lord. So I, I guess I'm not sorry. If you, uh, if you have some health ailments, stand in your hearts, right? But could, could you imagine if Christ came down here in the flesh right now and he spoke to us, how we would, how we would listen intently to every word that he'd say? This is his word. And I pray that we have that same mindset when we're listening to this. And I pray that as, as we're reading through this, we're saying, Lord, speak to us. Speak to our hearts, Right? Man, I don't, I don't want church to be just something that we come to, you know? I want to be challenged by the word of the Lord. I want, I want God to speak to me. I want to, I want to hear his voice. Not some guy that's up here behind the pulpit. I want it to be real, right? And that comes with the right heart. We have to have the right heart when we approach God. We have to kneel down before him and ask him to speak to us. Do that in your hearts as we're, as we're reading this. Daniel chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent, and the furnace overheated. The flames of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door 
of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in room, for there is no other God, there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. Lord, speak to our hearts. Challenge us, Father, not to bow down, no matter what the cost. Lord, help us to remember this passage when we're thrown into the fire. Lord, we give you all praise and honor. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This is one of my favorite accounts in the Bible. Commentaries believe this is an example of one of, one of several theophanies. Uh, a theophany is when God appears physically. In Genesis, the Lord appeared to Abraham when he went into the promised land. Jacob wrestled physically with God. God appears to Moses in the form of a burning bush. And there are others and others that are extremely important where we get to actually see God in the flesh. In all these examples, we learn something about God. We see something about God. And of course, Jesus coming in the flesh is the ultimate example of that. Now, a little background to this text. This occurs about the 6th century or 600 years before Christ. Babylon is the preeminent world power. They have a great empire, and they have been conquering nations around them. And when they conquered a nation, they had something that they would do to the people. They had this strategy. After conquering a nation, they would take the best people back with them to Babylon, the artisans, the scholars, the people that were in leadership, the, the military leaders, any professionals, any promising young person. They were all about assimilation. We take your best and put them to work for us. And it made them better and stronger, right? When you add the best of the best to yourself, you become better and stronger. And it, remained, it left the remaining country, though, weaker, right? By assimilating these two, by assimilating the leadership, they removed any identity that the people had, or they tried to. They removed their beliefs because they were forced to adopt this new culture that they were brought into. In doing this, they removed any resistance to Babylon. Make no mistake, this happens in our culture today, right? Our culture is all about assimilation. And this is something that we have to fight 
to not let happen. Book of Daniel is an account of a young person, Daniel, who is one of the people taken and three of his friends that we just read about. There are a few other stories about these friends, including the one that we just read. But from the, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'd like to point out three things that I, can, that I think will help us not to bow down to this culture that we're a part of. Three things. First one, there is, a pleasure, there is, a, there is the pressure of pluralism. pluralism. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold? I have set up. Now, in the first part of this chapter, we didn't read this, but we we're told that Nebuchadnezzar has this statue built. It's, it's this giant image, 90 feet tall. He surrounds it with all sorts of musical instruments and orchestra, and he put it in a very public place. And the decree was, as soon as you heard music, anyone who is able to see that image was to bow down and worship it. Of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to comply with this. And the decree was that if you do not bow down to this image, you would be thrown into this blazing, fiery furnace. Now, what is this image of gold all about? What did it mean? It's interesting. If you read the whole chapter, we never find that out. We never see if this, if this image was an image of Nebuchadnezzar or one of the Babylonian gods. We never find that out. But it's interesting in what Nebuchadnezzar says. There, there's a couple ways of translating this, and it really comes down to one word in the Hebrew that can be translated or or by. So the verse could be that you don't worship my gods or worship the image of gold. That's how a lot of translations have it. But uh, if we use the by, it says it is that you don't worship my gods by worshiping the image of gold. And and that makes more sense with the context. The image of gold doesn't represent a god, but many gods. It represents all gods, all the values of the Babylonians that they had, and essentially the culture of Babylon. Now, Nebuchadnezzar knows this is a multicultural city. Think of it as a, a New York. It's a pluralistic city. Many people, many religions... They all have different gods, and what he is decreeing is, is, hey, I'm not telling you that you have to worship my God instead of your God. I'm just telling you you have to worship my God along with your God, in addition to your God. When you hear the music, bow down and worship all the gods. In other words, you, you, you can worship your God as long as you don't claim that he's the only God. The only God is, of course, what we believe. So what is meant is really the Babylonian culture is trying to get you to privatize your faith. And we see that in our culture more and more. Uh, You could, in private, worship your God and say he is the one true God, but in public you have to bow down to all these gods and acknowledge all these gods. Not only acknowledge these gods, but their values and what they're about. You, you had to have the values like everyone else around you. And I hope you realize the similarity more and more. You, you can worship your God, you can worship this Jesus Christ in America, but don't claim he's the only way to God. Don't claim he is the one true God. 
you have to recognize all the other gods. That's why people freak out today when you mention Jesus. You can mention God. You can pray to God in public, no problem. You mention Jesus, though, you pray to Jesus, and people just lose it. People are offended. We live in a pluralistic culture. You have to accept what everyone else believes. You have to recognize everyone else's beliefs, and you cannot challenge them. It's not that you just can tolerate everyone else's beliefs. You have to accept them as truth. You have to accept them as being okay. You cannot disagree with me or what I believe. That's how all pluralistic societies work. It always seeks to assimilate you in the public culture by making you keep your faith in private. Don't bring your faith. Don't put your faith on me. Don't, don't shove your faith down my throat. Right? Accept what I believe. You, you can believe Christianity believes in the pri- well, what Christianity believes in the privacy of your home. Just don't bring it out into our culture. That's even getting challenged today because people are, are railing against that because we teach our kids in the privacy of our home and some people even have issues with that and are trying to stop that. But for all sakes, don't live out your faith in public. Pluralism is winning in America. It's winning. And it has been for some time. It's super effective. It is. Uh, and the reason I say that, that, that it's winning is because when you look at every statistic when it comes to those who claim to be Christians compared to those who claim not to be Christians, you see that we act just like them. There's, there's no difference, right? And, and I'm speaking from, from, from being some of these statistics, right? You look at pornography, the people who look at pornography in the church and out of the church, it's the same. You look at the divorce rate in the church, out of the church, it's the same. There's a, there's a book that talks about sex outside of marriage, and same rate, whether you were raised to believe sex outside his marriage is wrong or raised to believe that it's okay, we act the same way. And I think people see that. And they're like, why should I be a Christian if there's really no difference? Right? If there's no difference, what's the point in that? We believe pornography degrades women. Right? We believe that it's not good, yet we consume it. We look at it in the same way that those who accept it look at it. All pluralistic societies put this pressure on you to assimilate and accept what the public thought, what the common thought of the day is, and keep your faith to yourself. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had none of it. And, that, and my question as I'm reading this is, what if I was faced with this? Would I have the courage to stand in this situation or would I just bow down? Would I just bow down as, as I thought about leaving my, my family because I was killed, right? Would I just bow down and say, man, I'll, I'll just comply with this, but in my heart, I know your Lord, but I'll, I'll, just, I'll just make the show of it and then when I go home, I will worship you. That, that's what our culture demands. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said no. Think, think about these guys too, all right? These, these guys were ripped out of their homes. It's not like they're, they're in their own country and they have the strength of their family, right, besides them. They're ripped out of their families. 
They're ripped out of their churches, their synagogues, right? They didn't have the support system of the church. They had the support system of each other, three guys, right? And that's why I'm so desperate for my kids to have some good friends that will stand up for Christ, right? That's what I want, right? That's all they had, though. They didn't have all the support, all the, all the things that we have that makes it easier to stand. They didn't have it, and yet they did not bow down. Man, they, they even work for the government. They're, they're a part of this culture. Everything's at stake. And they're asked to privatize their faith, keep it at home, and they say no. And they say no, no matter what the consequences are. It's, it's very brave. And if, if you're following Christ today in our culture, you're under the same pressure, right? Some of you feel that. If you don't know you're under the same pressure, if you aren't getting smacked in the face every once in a while, you're probably bowing down to that image of gold. You're probably bowing down to that culture. So that's the pressure of pluralism. Second, we get to see an, an amazing example of faith. Man, I, I, I don't know. If, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if I'd bow down. Man, I pray that I wouldn't. I pray that he would give me the strength to do it. But, man, the thought of leaving my family, you know, and not being able to support them, I don't know. Nebuchadnezzar's angry. They're not bowing down. Hey, you're going to get thrown into a furnace. This is what's at stake. How do they respond? Two amazing declarations found in verse 17 and 18. Let me read them again. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Do you, do you see the differences here? Do you see what's going on here? We, we need to let this sink in deep to our hearts. Um, amazing statements and outlets. First of all, they say, we believe that God is able to save us. We believe he's able to rescue us from your hand. Not only that, but we believe he will deliver us. So first part, we believe is he is able, he's able to save us from the fire, but he might not choose to, right? But regardless, we believe he will save us. He will deliver us no matter what happens. You see the difference? This is exactly what I pray for. When I find out somebody is dealing with cancer or somebody's dealing with some illness or some situation, I believe he's able to heal. I know he may or may not, though. But I know he's able to save that person, regardless of what happens. Sometimes God uses sicknesses to draw people to them, to him, to come to know him. Sometimes he uses sicknesses and trying times to, to draw us deeper in our faith. I don't know what his plan is, so I pray for his will to be done. I ask him for what I'd like, heal him, right? But I trust him no matter what happens. And that's exactly what they're doing here. And I love this outlook from these guys because you see something really important here. They serve and love God for who he is and not what he does for them. Right? No matter what happens, we trust you, God. 
You heal us or you save us, we trust you. You don't, we still trust you. We know you're going to deliver us through this. They're, they're going to trust him no matter what. Man, that's the type of faith that I want. Sometimes we pray and we trust God for what we think should happen, right? And when it doesn't, we question him. We question what we believe. We, we think if I serve God and I'm a good person and I have enough faith, I've even heard pastors say this, if you have enough faith, God will heal you. Man, I, don't, I don't know where, where they find that in the Bible. Like surely it's going to happen. That's not how it works. Man, did, did Jesus get saved from the cross? Did Paul have the thorn taken away? That's not how it works, man. And, that, and if you have conditions on your faith, it's not real faith, right? We need to trust God no matter what happens. We need to trust him with his plan. They're, they're simply saying we trust God, period, no matter what the outcome is. God would not always rescue us from death. But if you are a believer, he will always rescue you through death. If you die in him, if you die in Christ, you wake up in his presence and there's nothing but freedom and joy there. If you think about it, if you're a believer, if you are in Christ, you're always safe. No matter what happens, nothing can take that away from you. They can kill you, right? But they can't take away your salvation. COVID can't take that away from you. Cancer can't take that away from you. No one, nothing can take that away from you. These guys were spiritually fireproof, right? Spiritually fireproof. Before they were physically fireproof, they were spiritually fireproof. Trust in God, period. Not trust in God plus your agenda as American Christianity seems to be all about. Third point, which isn't exciting at first glance, but we have purpose in suffering. God is able to use suffering. Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 19, he's white hot with fury. And he wants the furnace to be as hot as his anger. Heated up seven times hotter than normally. He gets his strongest guys to bind these guys up and has them thrown into that furnace. And the furnace is so hot, we learn that the guards actually die. The soldiers actually die as they go in. Nebuchadnezzar has a front row seat to this. Probably not front row by the fire. A view inside here, though. And what he sees causes him to leap to his feet. Two shocking things. First, these guys are just walking around in the fire. That'd be shocking, right? Second thing, there's not just three. There's a fourth. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are saved. In the Bible, furnaces and fire are metaphors for trials and, and suffering, always. And we need to realize that all of us will be thrown into the fire. No matter who you are, no matter 
if you have money, no matter if you don't have money, no matter if you're a good person, no matter if you're not a good person and you're just relying on God's grace, right? We'll all face the trials. We'll all face the fire. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You're going to experience suffering. The thing about suffering, though, is that it can produce in us a purity like fire with gold. It refines our character in a way like nothing else. First Peter 1.6 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by the fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your faith, that your character is like gold going through the fire. What does fire do to gold? It's such an intense experience, right? It burns away or it separates all the garbage from the gold so that only gold remains. Sometimes your faith, sometimes suffering can take your faith deeper. There was a guy who visited this orphanage, this orphanage, geez, visited this orange grove where there was an irrigation pump that had broken down. The season was unusually dry, and some of the trees were beginning to die for the lack of water. The man giving them a tour took them to his own orchard where irrigation was sparingly used. He said, as a result, these trees could go without rain for another two weeks. He said, you see, when they were young, I kept the water from them, which caused their roots to grow deeper into the ground to search for that moisture. Now mine are the deepest rooted trees in the area. While others are being scorched by the sun, these are finding moisture at a greater depth. Suffering has the potential to send your roots deeper. Suffering can take them deeper. We need the add-ons We need the conditions of our faith. We'll have faith if you do it our way, God. We need that burned away so that only faith remains. Don't you want to have a real faith? Don't you want to have a profound trust in God so that you really are able to put all your weight and place it on him? We we try to do both. We try to we, when we're facing things, we try to fix them, and we try to let God fix them. Sometimes we just need to let God do it and trust him in him to handle these situations. God can use suffering for that end. Suffering shows where you're at spiritually, right? Are you trusting him, or is your trust in yourself? Suffering can be that gauge to tell you where you're at. Suffering can move you in the direction that you need to go. I love eagles. When a mother eagle builds her nest, she starts with thorns, broken branches, sharp rocks, and and other things that aren't very comfortable. 
Then she puts the feathers. Then she puts the fur from things that she's eaten eaten, and, and makes it very nice and comfortable before the eggs come. And by the time that the growing birds reach their flying age, the, the comfort of the nest is a luxury that makes them want to stay there. Free food, right, and a comfortable place. And that's when the mother begins stirring up the nest. She pulls up the feathers. She pulls up the fur so that only the sharp rocks and the branches remain. As more of that bedding gets plucked up, the nest becomes more and more uncomfortable, more and more of a reason to to get out on your own and through other things too that encourages the eagle to leave. Suffering moves us. Suffering can move us in the right direction, in the direction that we need to go if we use it in the right way. I, I don't want you to suffer. I don't want to suffer, right? But here's how suffering has, has helped me. And this might be hard to hear, uh, but here's something to understand. Sometimes there is no way to really learn how to trust in God until you're drowning. Sometimes that's the way you learn. That's the way I learn. I'm a little hard-headed, I think. But until you are in over your head, until you are beyond your means, your strength, your possibility, until that situation is hopeless, man, in those situations, that's where I learned to really put my faith and trust God. Man, that's, that's when my roots grew deeper. That's when my faith became real. And why I don't want suffering for you, sometimes it's what it takes. Here's another good thing about suffering. There's really no way to really empathize and sympathize with another person's suffering unless you've gone through it yourself. Somebody shared their testimony in our, in our class today and the life that they've had, and they've had a lot of suffering. And they're the perfect person to talk to somebody else that's going through that stuff. God can, use, God can use that to create a soft heart towards other people in your life, a heart that wants to be compassionate, wants to reach out to other people and, and help them. It's a, it's a beautiful gift. It's beauty from pain. You know, up until this last year, I've done funerals, and I look back and I say, man, what a crappy job I've done at these funerals up until this year when I lost my dad on Easter. Man, it changed my whole outlook on a funeral and what was really important in a funeral. It is hard. It continues to be hard at times, right? But, but now I'm able to look at people and understand what they're going through and better minister to them. That's what suffering can provide to you. Assimilation is here. Bow down and worship our culture. Bow down to all these these gods. Suffering is coming. If you live out your faith in public and refuse to bow down to it, you'll get canceled in our culture. In your suffering, can I encourage you? Hold on to him. Let him refine you. 
Let him strip away all the chaff, all the things that are attached to your faith. Let him use suffering to let your roots go down deep, make your faith pure. Not everyone who suffers will go deeper. Not everyone who suffers will become better. Not everyone uses it or or allows it to be used in a good way. Suffering can break people. Suffering can cause people to to walk away from their faith. In order to grow, instead of being destroyed, you you need to see the picture of what we see in this story. Right? Uh, Isaiah 43, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God. Did you hear that? I will be there when you walk through the fire. You shall not be burned. Isn't that what we see in this account? Exactly what we see in this account? He's there right next to us when we're in the fire. He's the one with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar says he looks like a son of the gods. The word for God there is actually Elohim, the one true God. It looks like a son of God. If you look at the verse in verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar does a pretty good job of nailing down who this is because he doesn't just call them the son of gods. He said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angel. There are angels, all right? But there's the angel of the Lord. And when you see the angel of the Lord in the Bible, a lot of commentators believe that that angel of the Lord shows up not like other angels. Other angels like Gabriel say, here's what God says, right? When the angel of the Lord speaks, though, he speaks as if he is God because I believe he is God. He is Jesus Christ in the flesh. I'm here to tell you that if you're in the fire and you turn toward God, you seek him out, you'll feel his presence. You can. It's possible. Don't just do it for like 15 minutes like pray while you're going through that for 15 minutes and then just turn on the TV or anything like that. Wait. Wait on him in prayer. Seek him out. And you'll feel his presence. You'll know he's right there with you. Get on your knees. Told you that when you suffer, you're better able to comfort somebody suffering through a a similar thing, right? Do you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? He's, the Bible says, in agony. Do you remember the description? He's sweating drops of blood. When's the last time you sweat drops of blood because you're in agony? I've never done that. My friends, he's in the furnace. Looking at facing God's divine wrath that divine wrath that is meant for you and I because of our sins. And in other words, he's about to go in another furnace. 
that's really meant for us. The ultimate furnace. The furnace that we deserve. A furnace that because of Him, we never have to face. And that's how we're saved. We trust Him in the ultimate furnace. Let's trust Him with the smaller ones. And let's realize that at the end of the day, whatever happens with the smaller one, we have salvation. We can praise God for His deliverance through the ultimate one. He saves us. Now at the very end of this whole passage, Nebuchadnezzar speaks prophetically more than, more than he knows. It's cool. That's why the, the song that we sang at the end really got to me. He says, no God can save like this. There's no God like this, right? No God can save in this way. He's never seen anything like this, and that's exactly right. From the New Testament perspective, we can, we can look at every other religion. Every other religion has a way of salvation. Every other little g has a way of salvation. Every other religion's way of salvation is if you live good enough, if you try hard enough, if you're a good enough person, if you sacrifice enough, you can find salvation. Then God will save you. And there are so many people that believe this. My friends, there are so many Christians that believe this. But what happens when suffering comes? Suffering challenges this idea, right? Because what happens if suffering comes and you're being good enough? You think you're being good enough. You're living the good life. You're not doing anything wrong, right? That's not supposed to happen. And that will challenge your beliefs, and you'll either believe God is not God because he's allowing this to happen, or I'm not a good enough person. In either way, you'll despair. It doesn't line up. It doesn't work out. Christians believe this. Christians believe you have to be good enough to earn your salvation. Works-based Christianity has no place. If salvation is based on good works and performance, then when you go into the fire, it will break you. It will cause you to question everything, and you'll either be mad at God or mad at yourself. Instead, though, if you understand grace, if you understand that it's not based on your good works, if it's not based on you being good, and you understand that you have a God who will be there with you right there in the fire and help you through it, help you deal with what you're dealing with, help you go through the fire right next to you, that you have a God that can actually use this fire to refine your faith, and it will make you stronger and more pure, you'll see Nebuchadnezzar was right. There is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Amen? Amen. No God can save you like this God. Would you stand with me? My friends, the fire's coming. You're going to find yourself in the fire at some time. But you have a God that will be there right there with you. You know what the cool thing is? 
He calls us there too. You can have a couple friends in that fire with you to stand by you, right? To lift you up. What a privilege we have as followers of Jesus Christ. That's available to us to stand with somebody in the fire. My friends, though, we have to stand. We cannot bow down to our culture, to what the culture says, no matter if we lose our jobs, right? No matter if we lose our friends. We cannot bow down. We have to stand. We don't, we don't do so angrily. Do you notice these guys, they didn't shout back at Nebuchadnezzar. They didn't, they didn't try to fight him. They just stood. Sometimes we'll be called to fight. But a lot of times we're just called to stand. We're called to stand and trust God no matter what. Because we know our God can save us from the fire. I don't know if he will. but he can save us from death. He can save us from ourselves. He can save us from sin. He conquered death. Amen? Amen. He frees us from the bondage of sin. That's what we have available to us. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that you would just give us the strength and the ability when our culture calls and says, bow down, accept what we believe, keep your faith to yourself, keep it hidden away, Lord, I pray that you'd just help us to stand. And I pray that you'd help us to trust you with whatever furnace is put in our path. Let us always give you praise, Lord. Let us always remember that you went through the furnace in our place. Lord, we praise you for that. We love you for that. We surrender our lives to you in response to that. Lord, may you be glorified in all that we do. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You are dismissed.